Where is the body of Jesus? We have multiple independent sources that support historical claims that there was, in fact, an empty tomb. And that's what we're going to be discussing today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Your hosts for this podcast are Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Robbie is pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church, as well as professor of apologetics, worldview, and ethics at Mission Bible Institute. He is a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, as well as a graduate of the Master's in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University. Tyler is currently earning his undergraduate degree in theology at Grand Canyon University and currently serves as an apologetics intern at Desert Springs Community Church. Hello, welcome to Christ Culture and Coffee. I'm Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my co-host, Tyler Hurley. Hi, Tyler. Hello. How's life? Going good. About to get married soon. I know. That's exciting, huh? Yep. Just a couple weeks out, and then I'm a married man. A married man, never looking back. Yep. It's done and done. Yeah, so that's exciting. So life is good. uh, Good, man. I'm excited for you and for Maddie. It's going to be such an an awesome wedding, such an awesome marriage. Really looking forward to that. Yeah, thanks. Um, Before you get married, Easter's coming up. Yes, it is. That's this weekend. We've got so much going on around with Good Friday, with sunrise services. You know, I'm sure a lot of people are uh, cooking ham. What's your thought on ham? You know, ham actually, surprisingly enough, I like it better than turkey. What? I know. A lot of people think I'm crazy. You are. (laughs) They're right. Okay, so like the ham thing, I've never, I mean, I'll... Uh, it's not like I can't. Are you eat talking it. ham on Easter though? Yeah, like the honey glazed. I, I just don't. I'm not yeah. a fan. I would way rather have. I'd way rather have an omelet. Anything <laughs> else? Like I am just not a fan of ham. I think Sometimes people put ham in their omelets. That's okay. I'd rather have bacon in my omelet. Yeah, or both. That's yeah, or good. both. <laughs> yeah, but like I think ham is like the worst use of pig at all. Like, like okay. Yeah. To be honest, think about it. Like pulled pork. Come on. Yeah. Smoked pork, way better. Bacon, way better. Pork chops, way better. Ham is the the worst aspect of eating a pig. Would you agree with this? Uh, depends on how it's prepped. <laughs> if I'm having like if I'm having like store bought lunch meat on yeah. a sandwich, then yeah, of course I'd rather have pulled pork than yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But like to have uh, uh, like to have a roast ham, I, I will mm-hmm. I will eat a ham on Christmas over the turkey any every oh my year. Gosh. Every year, I'll still have turkey, but it's like I I usually get more ham. I'm gonna pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. See, this is this is what we were talking about before. How you deal with conflict in ministry? It's like yep. you gotta you gotta work these things out. And it's okay. Yeah, we can have differences, right? Like that's not that's not a big issue. So, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, today we are going to be talking about the empty tomb, which is yes. such a powerful argument for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If we can't find the guy's body. We need to have an explanation as to where his body went. Right. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we do that, we want to give a coffee tip. And this is kind of an odd one to talk about. Um, But the coffee tip for today is um, if you have a smelly place in your house or in your car, get some of your used coffee grounds from your coffee maker Um, lay them out kind of like on a sheet pan, put them in an oven at about 250 degrees to dry them out, 
And after they're dry, um, put them in an old sock, clean old sock, or <laughs> an, uh, put them in like a mason jar or something, uh, you know, and leave it open and put the coffee grounds in like a smelly part of your house or in your fridge if there's something smelling bad in there or in your car if something's smelling bad in there. And the coffee grounds actually will help absorb the odors that are yes, around. Yes, yes. It, it kind of works as like a substitute to baking soda, right? Yeah, it does, yeah. yep. And you also have the smell of the coffee, which helps to eliminate. Um, so it absorbs, but you also have the coffee smell that smells yeah, a lot better right. than other things. You were reading a list of, of things that it will help with the odor to. You said like yeah. dead animals. Yeah, dead animals, vomit, yeah. yeah, everything. It's uh, <laughs> like... Uh, or, or if like something that I've dealt with a lot, and I'm thinking about using this now. Mm-hmm. My dog, I, I, my family has uh, two pugs, and one of them, his name's Rocky. He has peed on my backpack multiple times, Ugh. and I, I I shove his nose in it every time, and I'm like, why do you do this? And then he does, but the odor will stay there. Although I don't have the strongest sense of smell, sometimes you can smell it. So what I'll do, uh, I, I th- I'm thinking about now doing this with the the grounds, is mm-hmm. taking it putting it in the bag yeah. and then just leaving it to sit out. Maybe that'll eliminate the odor. Do it, man. Try it and let us know what happens. Let us know <laughs> if it works. That would be awesome. Yeah. So if you have pets out there as well, uh, try it and let me know what happens. See if See, it works. See, coffee is God's gift to mankind. Yeah, it, does, it helps with everything. It helps with everything. It helps with your mood. It yes. helps with headaches. It helps you drink something so you don't say something you shouldn't. Yeah. It helps with gardening. It helps, everything, right. man. Even odor elimination. But, now, the, the only one of the senses that I think... Uh, um, it, I have yet to hear a tip for is for eyesight. How does it help your eyesight? Or I'm it, sure there's a way. Or is it just pleasing to the eye? Yes, yeah, you know what it to is. The so. eye, yeah. It, when you drink it, it makes everything look better <laughs> because you're happy because you're on the caffeine. It's like yeah, it's like looking through the lens of the caffeine. It's yeah. like yeah, beautiful. There we go. That's great. See, it's God's gift to mankind. I'm sure even for your skin, like you could probably rub it on your face. It probably exfoliates better than anything out there. Probably. Coffee. Mm-mm-mm. We should have, you know what? Instead of Easter egg hunts, we should have like coffee hunts. Coffee hunts. I'd go that to one? that if there were like pounds of coffee hidden about a field that I need to find. Dude, I'd spend all day. I would exert so much energy out there. I'd be shoving people over, yeah, filling my basket. The... Yeah, dude. You don't even drink coffee. Get out of here. It could be awesome. Maybe next year we should do that. Next year. That's Christ a great culture idea. and coffee. Coffee. Or just hunt. fill the eggs with coffee beans. Oh. Do that. That's not bad. Yeah. Just Eat for... chocolate covered espresso mm, beans? Yes. Oh, hey. There we go. Now, now we're talking. Anyway, uh, I love. I wish I had a coffee right now. I don't. Yeah. We could stop the podcast and just go I mean, get one. I mean, I think there's some decaf. I'm not drinking court. that. That's not coffee time. No, I, I thought about it just because <laughs> I was desperate, but then I realized no. Yeah. It's like... No, it's a counterfeit. <laughs> it's a big time counterfeit. Anyway, all right. So today, empty tomb. This is uh, such a fun. Um, evidence. And it's, I think it's really powerful. There's so many things that need to be accounted for when it comes to the empty tomb of Jesus. So let's get started with um, some criteria of authenticity for historical events. Yes, yes. Um, This is important for us to understand, and I'm briefly going to go through this. Uh, In in Michael Icona's book, uh, The Historiographical Approach uh, to the Resurrection of Jesus, uh, which if you don't have it, get it. It is phenomenal. Now it's an academic, it's it's over a thousand pages long, I think. It's huge. It's really thick. But it is amazing. And he goes through as a historian and says, what can we know based on historical method about the resurrection of Jesus? 
And these are the criterion that historians use whenever they're putting uh, any type of uh, it, whenever they're trying to ascertain events from the past in anything, okay? So this is this is what you would look for as a historian to be able to say, yes, I'm pretty sure this event happened in the past. The first criteria is that you want to find multiple independent sources, all right? Multiple mm. independent sources. So think about this. Um, you know, if, if Tyler, if I, if I hear on, um, you know, uh, the BBC News Channel, about an event that happened, and then I write a blog about it, and then you make a podcast and you quote my blog, how mm. many sources is that? It's still just one. Exactly. Yeah. It's just one source. It's only the BBC giving us the information. Yeah. But I'm repeating it, and then you're repeating me repeating it. Yeah. Okay? So what we're trying to look for when it comes to the events around Jesus is – independent sources, not just one source who's quoting somebody else, right. but independent sources. And the more of those you can find, <clears throat> the more likely it is that that thing that's being said actually happened because many different people are saying it. Yes. Does that, that make sense? That makes complete sense. Obviously, um, uh, anytime I hear a major news event, usually I don't take the word of the first article that pops up about it. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll actually like look through uh, other websites and media yeah. accounts and see yep. like, okay, is this credible? Did this happen? So it, it makes sense why you would apply this to the, the, the resurrection. Yeah. yeah. And so that's one of the things, if we want to know about what happened to Jesus, if we find a lot of, of independent sources saying the same thing, you can go, okay, it seems like a lot of people were saying the same things yeah, uh, from different perspectives, but the same things. And so it probably happened, right? Yes. So when it comes to the gospels, um, we actually have five sources within the four Gospels. And this is a little confusing. We're not going to go to it in, in too much detail. But um, most people, not all, and there's there's debate over this, um, and, and that's okay to have. We can, we can debate and think through it. But, but most people agree that Mark was the Gospel written first, and there's a lot of reasons right. for that. Um, and then we know that Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source. You know, at the beginning of Luke, he says he used a lot of sources. Uh, we know Mark's one of them because he quotes him verbatim in a lot of places. So Mark and uh, Matthew and Luke both quote Mark. So think about this from an independent source part. We have Mark, and then we have Matthew and Luke quoting Mark. That's just one source because that's just Mark. Yes, right. That's right. But within Matthew and Luke, they both have their own independent material that isn't found in Mark. So now we have Mark. And we have stuff that's unique to Luke, stuff that's unique to Matthew. So that's three independent sources, right? Yeah, that's good. In addition to that, within Matthew and Luke, they also quote this other thing, um, and nobody knows what it is. They've called it Q. Um, the, the, uh, it's called the, the Q document. And um, this so-called Q document, it's nothing we have. We haven't found it out there. But it, it, it seems like Matthew and Luke are quoting from something else because a lot – 235 verses in Matthew and Luke are verbatim quotes from something that isn't Mark. So that makes yeah. scholars go, there's another thing they're quoting here because yeah, we they don't have it, it identically. So yeah. yeah, but we don't have it and know what it is. So it's called Q. Um, the, the name Q comes from the German word uh, quell, uh, which means source. So it's basically like, and then there's this uh, other source. Yeah, right. <laughs> so now think about this. You have Mark. 
That's an independent source. You have Luke's unique material, Matthew's unique material, but then you also have Q as a source. That's four, and then in addition to that, we have the Gospel of John. So within the four Gospels, we find five independent sources. So that's good for us, because if we're trying to figure out what happened, we want multiple independent sources. Yeah, and that's just among the Gospels, so that's great. Just among the Gospels, we have four. Now, if we add the epistles and the creeds and the sermon summaries and all of those things that that we talked a little bit about last week, there's even more. But just within the Gospels, we have five. All right, so that's the first thing that you look for is multiple independent sources. The second thing that historians look for is if you have eyewitness reports. That's like the best, right? I want somebody who was there. Like think about it. If, if, if I wrote a book about George Washington right now, uh, I could do a lot of research and write stuff that's pretty accurate, but wouldn't it probably be better to find somebody who wrote – who lived at the same time and knew George Washington? Like their their account of things would be better than mine, even if I studied really hard. Yes. <laughs> because why? Well, because they were closer to the event. They were eyewitness testimony. We still think eyewitness testimony is important today in court, right? Like that's the best type of testimony. Yeah, that's, that's a direct source. Yeah, that's, that's the good. people the mob's always trying to kill, right? The eyewitness <laughs> testimony because we know it's the best type of testimony. Uh, the third criteria is that you want the reports to be early, So the closer the time between the event that's being talked about and the source that's reporting about it, the more reliable uh, of a witness it is. Um, The the thinking behind this is that, um, you know, let's say say an event happened 300 years ago and the the way we know about it is from a source that we found that's only 100 years old. Mm. So there's a 200-year time gap between when this thing happened and when we've heard about it. Yeah, right. 200 years is a long time for people to make up stories or for legends to develop. So, it, but, but if there was this event that happened 300 years ago and then six months after it happened, there were a whole bunch of independent sources writing about it, that's pretty credible because those sources are close to the time of when it happened, which means less time for legend to develop and less time for things to get embellished and made so up. So it's, it's far less likely that it was made up. Yeah, exactly. Because it's reliable. It was at the time. That's what makes it reliable. Yeah. Yeah. And the other side of it is this, is that um, uh, it's really hard to write stuff that didn't happen and try to give it to people who were there for what did happen. Mm, Yeah. You couldn't – like, um, you know, like if somebody wrote something about President – like President Trump dyes his hair black. (laughs) Well, we would all go – no, he, he didn't. Or I'd, I'd check the internet and look and see if he did. But then I'd see him in a speech or I'd see him, you know, on TV or a picture of him or something. And I'd be like, no, that's not true. Nobody believed that source. It's a dumb source, right? So the earlier and the closer they are to the events that they're recording, the more likely they are to be true because you can't lie to people who know what was going on. <clears throat> Does yeah. that make sense? Yes, that makes complete sense. You okay. just have to have that exact source match up with what people were saying. Otherwise, if they lied about it, then people would have known. Yep. Yeah. You got it. There we go. So we want independent sources. If those (laughs) independent sources have some eyewitness testimony in them, that's phenomenal. And if the sources, if the manuscripts we have are really early and close to the events, that's really good for us as well. Um, The the next one is called the criteria of dissimilarity. Uh, And this is the idea and how it applies to the Bible. Um, If Jesus says something in the Bible, uh, in the Gospels, that the pre-Christian Jews didn't use as a term or saying, and that the early church didn't use as a saying, 
uh, scholars conclude the reason it must be in there is because Jesus probably said that. <laughs> Does that make sense? So, yeah. so if it's not a popular phrase before Jesus and it's not a popular thing after Jesus, the fact that it's in there probably is because he actually said those things. Yes. So one of, the, one of those things is him calling himself um, the son of man, right? Right, yeah. Um, um, that's that's uh, really uh, important for us because, like, even in even in church today, we don't like, really refer to Jesus as the Son of Man. We talk about Son of God all the time, but not Son of Man. Um, the early church didn't refer to Jesus as the Son of Man like anywhere, but on the lips of Jesus, he refers to himself as this. Jews didn't refer to the coming Messiah as the Son of Man before Jesus. So the fact that he uses that term makes most people believe that he, uh, he, he probably did. It's probably very accurate. Yeah. There's no other explanation for where that term would come from. Yeah, no, that's good. That makes sense. The next criteria that, that historians look for is embarrassment. Um, if there's embarrassing details in an account, they're probably true. And the reason for that is because usually people don't make up embarrassing details about themselves. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. Any crime that's committed today, you would find that that's the case. If it was a lie, do you really think that they're going to make up a story of them uh, running away from the scene or something like that? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you want to you come across as brave or, or someone that's like, hey, uh, this person did the right thing or they, uh, I aspire to be like that or do this. Yeah, if people are going to lie about themselves, they're going to lie about good things, not yes. about Yes, yes, you want to brag. You don't want to say, yeah, so I was a coward. And I ran away <laughs> from the scene of the crime. Uh, you want to, yeah. If you're making it up, you want to, you want to sound like you, you want to, you want to boost your ego. That's yeah. basically it. Yeah. So you yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't make yourself look dumb. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a crucial point. Yep. Embarrassing. So when there points. are embarrassing details in any historical document, historians conclude this probably actually happened because otherwise you wouldn't write that about yourself. Yeah, that's right. So that's a criteria. <clears throat> um, another criteria is attestation by an enemy. If an enemy is saying the same things as the non-enemies, it most likely happened, right? And like mm. this makes sense. If there's a kid at school you didn't like or something, but you both are telling the teacher, no, this is what happened out on the football field. I saw that guy do this, or I saw this person steal this bag or whatever. Yeah. And you're both agreeing, the teacher's really going to believe it because you guys don't agree on anything. Yeah, right. And the fact that you're both saying, no, this is what happened is a good reason for, um, for believing it. So an example in scripture would be, uh, you remember when the, the Pharisees claim that Jesus is doing miracles by the power of the devil, Beelzebub. Yes, right? I do remember that. The fact is they're acknowledging he was doing miracles. Right, yeah. Because they have That's to make a up point. a reason why. You know, when people look at that, I don't think that that would be your initial thought. Is no. that, Yeah, but no. that's true. But but the fact that they're saying he's doing it by the power of the devil uh, makes us conclude they must have seen him doing something that they couldn't explain in order to make up that excuse about it. Yeah. Or uh, Yeah. And so um, that's attestation by an enemy. His disciples said he did miracles, but people who hated him and wanted to be killed are also saying he did miracles. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah, kind of cool. Um, the, the next one is coherence. And this is when there are two similar events, uh, and one of them is backed by really strong support and evidence, uh, but the other one is backed by less evidence. Because they're similar events, um, most people conclude with historical documents that they probably both happened, 
um, because uh, the one that has such strong evidence, it makes sense that that the other event that's similar uh, would happen as well. So like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew is really supported by strong historical evidence. Um, but the Sermon in the Plain in Luke uh, isn't as as supported, but it probably happened because we know he, he taught on the mountain mm. outside and teachers would probably do the same methodology. So historians will say, yeah, he probably most likely did do that too. That yes. fits the bill is kind of the idea. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> then the last one is is really interesting. It's called um, the Criterion of Aramaic Substrata. Um, we know Jesus' native tongue was Aramaic, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when we see Aramaic being used in the New Testament, those are probably very, very authentic sayings of Jesus that actually occurred because they're in his native tongue, not translated uh, into Greek. So um, in Mark, we see um, Aramaic all over the place, right? Mark 5.41, it says, you know, taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Uh, in Mark 7.11, they use the Aramaic word Corbin. In Mark 7.31 through 35, <clears throat> um, uh, Jesus says, um, Ephthatha. Uh, that is, be opened. And you always have Mark explaining to you what it, he's translating. He's saying in Aramaic, that means, in Jesus' native tongue, that means, and he tells you what it means in Greek, right? Yeah, uh, that's so, good. So historians look at that and go, he probably said those things because uh, they were in his native tongue. Um, and mm. and it, they are actually pretty rare. Uh, so when it comes to the crucifixion of Jesus, you remember he says, um, uh, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? Yes. So probably he said that. That's Aramaic substrata. It's very, very strong, not to mention it's a really embarrassing thing for the person claiming to be God's son to say God has forsaken him. So you've kind of got two criteria there, Aramaic and embarrassing detail. Yes, that's good. That make this ring authentic. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So this is how historians, this is kind of like the science of doing history. Okay, so now let's apply those rules and think through uh, the empty tomb, all right? The empty tomb. Now, the empty tomb, um, um, we we get a lot of our our evidence for it from the Gospels, right? Yes, yes. And so we want to look through um, a few different uh, types of evidence from the Gospels that show us that the, the empty tomb has to have been true, that the tomb had to be empty or Christianity couldn't even have started. Yeah, and so something that's interesting about that is we have like, we have multiple cases to uh, bring forward here. One of those is, uh, this, these are four, four, four of those reasons for why scholars believe the tomb was empty. One of those is that there were women being described at the tomb first. Yeah, Which, women at the tomb, right? Yes, and the reason that this is a big deal is because this also fits in with the criteria of embarrassment, because uh, it was embarrassing historically to say to come forward for the disciples to say, you know what? Yeah, it was the women who witnessed Jesus resurrect first. We didn't actually see him. It was the women who found out that the tomb was empty. Well, wh- okay. So, yeah. uh, why is that embarrassing? Yeah, because at the time, uh, in the public case in court, it, women had like a lesser uh, value than men in that aspect. And it was like their their word wasn't taken for as credible even in court unless mm. you had like multiple women attesting. for at, And that would count as like one witness report. Interesting. So uh, the reason that this is embarrassing, though, is because specifically in this case, um, for them to discover it, that's 
basically saying, okay, the disciples, they weren't the ones that were honored with this, making this discovery. It mm-hmm. was the women. So Does that make that, sense? Yeah. So in that culture, yes, because women's word wasn't taken very seriously, exactly. why would the disciples lie and make this embarrassing detail? Why would they make women mm. the first to discover the empty tomb in all four Gospels? Yes, yes. That's a, that's a, a very good point to make because, and quite honestly, that would just point again, I think, to the fact of that it's true, that it really happened. Because why else report an embarrassing detail of th- to that extreme mm. it, unless they knew, like, hey, wait a minute, we just want to report on what happened. Yeah, that's kind of the only explanation, right? Because if you wanted yeah. to start your own cult back then, it would be bad to lead with women were the first witnesses because women weren't credible witnesses. Yes, that's <laughs> why. Kind of, so, sort of a dumb mm-hmm. tactic. It was just the introductory witness, basically. They'd say, okay, well, we... And that, like I said before, you, like, typically you had to have multiple women attest to it. it go, like, mm-hmm. one one woman's uh, eyewitness account would only attest for, like, about half... Uh, uh, half reliable, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The, well, but why? Why did they think that? It, it was just that that was just a cultural idea just the, at the time. Well, how do we know? OK, so yeah. somebody will say, how do you know that that was the cultural idea at the time? How can we know that? Like we can say that, but how can we know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we have uh, a couple quotes here actually even talking about this. Uh, saying, one from Josephus uh, specifically because he, he was alive during this time and he talked about the authority of women's testimony. Yeah, he was, he, he was born in the first century. Yeah, 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 exactly. And he says, but let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of uh, the le- levity and boldness of their sex, meaning this was happening. This was occurring regularly. So women's testimony couldn't be admitted in court because they're women. That's yes. all he's saying because of the boldness of their sex. Yeah, exactly. Because so. he's, he's saying because they're women, we can't believe what they say. Yes, exactly. And That's so, crazy. So, so this this was happening. Um, yeah, and uh, and then we have a and this is a ra- rabbinical. Is that how you say that? Yeah, rabbinical. Yeah, yeah. rabbinical text. Uh, Sota nineteen a. It says, "Sooner let the words of the law be burnt than delivered to women." Okay, that's, now that's interesting because yeah. to rabbis, what's the what's the word of the law? Well, it's just <laughs> that's just basically their like their testimony. Like when when, uh, when you're looking at this, like the point to this, it's seeing too. Like we can see really quick again. I wanted to point out, and I think this brings out further um, evidence. Even is the next quote seeing in the Talmud, we can see that any evidence which women gives is not valid to offer. Also, they are not valid to offer, and this is equivalent to saying that. One who is rabbinically accounted as a robber is qualified to give same evidence as women. And so when you look at like all these together, it's basically painting this picture that just in general, they just weren't respected in the same regards to men. It was kind of like second class citizenship, basically. Yeah. So the so the Talmud's kind of saying that a woman's testimony is equivalent to a known thief. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's crazy. Well, but even in this about. one, like I want to, I do want to go back to this rabbinical right, text right, from yeah. Soda nineteen a because it says, "Let the words of the law be burnt rather than delivered to women." To Jews, what is the word of the law? Well, it's. It's the Bible. Yeah, it's the Torah. It's, it's the, the Torah. Torah. It's the first five mm-hmm. books of the Bible. So what they're saying is it's better to burn the Bible than to explain it, deliver it to women. Yeah, yeah. That's basically How what they're saying. How lowly can you think of what? Like, that's low. Yeah, it, it's a lot of hatred towards that, the, um, towards women in this culture in that aspect to think that, yeah, that they would rather burn Scripture before letting them 
<laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a really that's... low view of women. <laughs> well, and so, yeah, so so the fact that the disciples, all four Gospels claim that women were the first to discover the empty tomb is, it meets the criteria of embarrassment. Yes, yes. Because they're not good witnesses. They're not credible witnesses. Yeah, and not that, not that culturally that that's, that that's a good thing that this no. was happening. This is bad. But the point is that you have to make the case when you're looking at this and seeing the evidence that women... Uh, for for the disciples to report that the women were at the tomb first and that they saw the empty tomb, culturally, that is an embarrassment. And the only thing that makes sense of them recording that would be if that's what actually happened. Yes, Because exactly. otherwise you wouldn't make that up to they, sell your story. Yeah, because let's say even the disciples that they, um, like, they themselves were set apart from the culture and they, they held to a higher view of women, which I, I believe that they did. And then you'd see, though, through this, that you would see that they would still at least have some aspect of like if you're making this up as a lie why say something that's culturally taboo yeah how does this that's help what i mean you yeah convince people yeah in it fact that, that would that would help you, you against convincing people exactly yeah so yes. the only thing that makes sense is they would make it up or they wouldn't make it up but they'd record it because it actually happened yes yeah, so that's that's another <clears throat> account i'm glad that you brought that up so it's not only embarrassing but it's also harder to convince people that this actually happened because they're not going to believe the testimony of women yeah yeah but they have to report it because that's what actually happened. they want to tell the truth of what yeah. actually occurred. Yeah. yeah, and so I think that this is a really crucial uh, point of evidence when we're looking at uh, different eyewitness sources uh, for the empty tomb. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think, too, like, okay, so we've got embarrassment within the women at the tomb. Yeah. But another thing that's really cool about women at the tomb is that in the gospel accounts, the stories of the women at the tomb are all extremely different from one another. Yes. Now, they don't contradict each other, um, but they're very, very different from each other. And this is important because it shows us that the authors of the gospels weren't all copying what Mark said about the story. But there's independent sources, right? All four Gospels tell the same story with slight different source material. They tell it from kind of like different perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. Because of this, because they're so different, scholars believe there are three to four independent sources found within the four sections of the Gospels concerning the women at the empty tomb. So that's another criteria, right? Independent sources Mm -hmm. and the criteria of embarrassment, occurring with just the one fact of women at the tomb, all four Gospels unanimously declare they were the first to discover that Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, yes. So that, that's just really important. So the that makes the question is then, why would you make the women the heroes of the story who first approached the tomb? <laughs> yeah. It, like, it's a really dumb tactic to make a new cult. Yeah, yeah. If you were like trying to make this up, like like we said, like it's embarrassing. It's not. It's not a reliable source, and it kind of it makes a weak case that this actually happened. If you're trying to convince the culture. Yep. So now, to to add to the embarrassment, just to kind of double down on how embarrassing this is, I want to point out to people something that comes from Luke twenty four mm, eight yeah. through eleven. I love this. It says, Luke 24, 8 through 11 says, <clears throat> um, when the women came and reported to the disciples what they'd seen at the tomb, and they remembered his words and returned to the tomb from the tomb and reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. Okay, so the women come back from the tomb and they tell the apostles, he rose from the dead. The, the next verse, verse 11, but these words appeared to them, the disciples, as nonsense, and they would not believe them. 
Uh, the word nonsense, it means idle tales or gossip. It's kind of like, oh, that's women craziness. <laughs> so think about this. The, the disciples are in the culture that believes women aren't credible witnesses. And when the women come to tell them Jesus rose from the dead, they don't think they're credible witnesses and believe them. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so think about this. If you're making up this story, first of all, why would you say women were the first ones to find it? Secondly, why would you say you didn't even believe it? And the that other is a bad, yeah. That's a bad yeah. way to go about it. And you, then, you, you, you're trying to convince people to believe he rose exactly. from the dead, but you're saying, I didn't even believe it. I and didn't then, even trust yeah, the but women. Then, and then I want to you top to trust that the off, women, but I don't trust the women. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's so crazy. And then to top all that off, Jesus literally told them that this was going to happen before he died. Yes. Yep. He told them that. And so he's, they're not only belie- not believing in the women, they're not believing in what Jesus said he would do. Yep, that's right. Yeah, so th- this is a Super very embarrassing crucial... all around. Yeah. So the disciples show themselves in the books they wrote to be buffoons who don't even believe the women they're asking other people to believe, right. who show yeah. women as being the credible witnesses in a culture where they weren't credible witnesses, and show that they didn't even remember or trust what Jesus said about himself rising from the dead. That's really embarrassing. Yeah, and to top it <laughs> off, when you put all that together, that's got to make just a strong case for them saying that this actually happened. It's like that's the only thing that makes sense. Of yeah, it. it's like them coming forward and saying, "Look, you know what? We don't take pride in reporting this, but this is just honestly what happened." Yeah, this is the honest truth. This is what occurred, and we want to record accurately the events surrounding Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That's the only thing that makes sense of it. Because now think about this, Tyler. Mm. If if they are tricking us all, if these fishermen and tax collectors were these evil geniuses that some people think they were, they they manipulated the story to say, you know, down the line, there's going to be cultures who value what women say, unlike ours. And so in order for them to think these are embarrassing <laughs> details, <laughs> let's make up stories about women being the first to discover the tomb. So let's even pretend they did that and they could have thought like that and they could have known where we'd be at today. But then they're mm. such geniuses to be so maniacal and create such a fantastic uh, uh, false evidence. But they're also humble and they don't point out how genius they are. Yeah. And like no, that that's usually true. doesn't go together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That just, it doesn't make sense if they were trying to fabricate it. So. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. So yeah, embarrassment. Women at the tomb is a big deal when it comes to the tomb being empty. It yes. rings true that what they're saying actually happened. Yes. And so. The, yeah. The next, the next point I think that I, yeah. I, I love this evidence. It's called like the Jerusalem factor. Mm-hmm. And here's when I'm, when I'm teaching on this, here's kind of how I present it. Um, so, so here in, in Arizona, we live on the west side of Phoenix in, in Goodyear and, um, not too far from us, 10 minutes from my house is, uh, State Farm Stadium where the Arizona Cardinals play. Yeah, right. Okay. It's a really big structure, right? It's a big football field. It's busy. There's a whole shopping district over there. It's 10 minutes from my house. If somebody, um, that lived close to me, if I was trying to start a new cult and the main point of it was... State Farm Stadium blew up last night. There was this big event in the town that we live in. And I was trying to trick people into believing that. Could I do it if I was trying to trick people who lived in the town where State Farm Stadium was? My neighbors wouldn't believe that. Because why? Well, they would go, listen, if it blew up, I would have heard it. Um, I would have heard about it on the news. You could have just gone outside and seen Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they could have gone up on the mountain and looked it down and, nope, it's still there. I still see it shining, right? So um, the fact that 
you had this early group of believers claiming the tomb was empty in the town where you could go verify if it was empty or not proves that it had to have been empty. Mm, yes. if, if I moved, okay, so I went to Rwanda last month, right? It was or two months ago. Right, yeah. If I was in Rwanda, I could try to convince them to follow me in a cult about State Farm Stadium blew up. Why? They don't know what State Farm Stadium is. They don't know where it is. And there's no way they could fly all the way over here to verify if I was telling the truth. And if I was very charismatic and I was persuasive, maybe I could get some following there. I definitely couldn't do it here where people could verify it. Yeah, right. So my cult would never even get off the ground if it was still there. Right? Yeah, that's true. But maybe in Rwanda I could. Well, the disciples didn't go to Italy to start their cult. They didn't go to China to start their cult. They started Christianity in Jerusalem, the very town where the tomb was supposed to be empty. So this is this is difficult. Jerusalem would be the worst place to claim the tomb was empty if the tomb wasn't empty. Yeah, that's no, that's <laughs> such a good point. So the fact that Christianity even started on the belief that Jesus rose from the dead proves that the tomb had to be empty. Yeah, yeah. Because people could go verify it and nobody would have believed it if it wasn't. Right. And so that, that I mean, that makes a point to say, like, if, it, if they're trying to say that this happened in Jerusalem, uh, in Jerusalem, we, we have it listed here, like the, the different people that would verify that this actually happened or not. We, we have the Jewish leaders who, for one— They were against Jesus. Yeah. yeah. They yeah, didn't they like didn't, the disciples. Mm-mm. And then we have Roman soldiers— who yeah. were like really protesting against this because of the cultural to, movement, and they were guarding the tomb. Yeah, they were. So, so there to, to let a prisoner, you know, to let to, if you let a prisoner escape, yes. you had to pay the prisoner's penalty. Yeah. So if you let a prisoner get off the cross alive, you got killed. So mm. now think about how weird this is with those Roman soldiers, because I feel a little bad. How easy is it to guard a dead man in a tomb? It's pretty easy. Yeah. And wouldn't you assume I'm trying to guard other people from coming to the tomb, not I'm trying to guard this guy from coming back to life? <laughs> like, it's kind of unprecedented. Keep He's him dead. from leaving, yeah. I don't have to keep him imprisoned. He's dead. He's not going anywhere. And then he comes out of the grave. You kind of feel bad for them because it's like, I can't be held responsible for this. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is this has never happened, you know? Yeah, it just, it, like, and then not only that, they were probably like, I mean, the punishment that you have for that too, like, yeah, it's crazy. But, but how could you punish a guy for letting the dead man escape? Yeah. Like, come on. Like, that's not fair. He was dead. Like, I, that's not on me. Yeah. Something crazy at work here. This makes me think, and I, I don't have any proof, but if you were one of those Roman soldiers, wouldn't you really seriously reevaluate your worldview at that point? If you saw a dead man come out of a tomb, I, I'm wondering if when we get to heaven, some of those Roman soldiers will be there. That'd be pretty cool. That would be awesome, yeah. right? I'd love to talk to them. The ones that actually like witnessed him dying too, and then like yeah. maybe heard and saw what happened after, and then that just realized. Wait a minute. Well, doesn't one of them say, "Truly, this was the Son of God"? That is true. That, that <laughs> yes. So right. yeah, it's fascinating, right? But yeah, in yeah. Jerusalem, you're right. You have the Jewish leaders. You have the Roman soldiers. Yeah, and then we have Pilate, who yeah. and then and Herod, who th- those authority figures, Pilate, who actually sentenced Jesus to death. Yeah. Having having to deal with like it is let's say let's say Jesus didn't rise from the dead, okay? And then the disciples are coming out and they're just saying, you know what? Yeah, he rose again from the dead. Pilate, the guy who executed him, he'd say, Well, for starters, I know he's really dead. Yeah. Cause I killed him. Yep. But so and then so then you have like this uh, whole idea of him thinking like, okay, so how do we 
like, like if if his body was still in the tomb and they still had possession of him after his execution, mm-hmm. this would come out. Like the yeah, they probably would, would have brought his body out, right? Yeah, right. But or the Pharisees, if the if they mm-hmm. if they knew the body was there, they'd say, "Pull out his dead body. Let's get his carcass and drag it through town and yes. show everybody." Yeah. No, he didn't rise from the dead. Yes, but the the crazy thing is, is all of these sources all confirm that the tomb was empty. The fact that they didn't bring his body out to show it around confirms they didn't have access to his body. Yes. Meaning the tomb was empty. His body's gone. Yeah. Right? I I think that that is fascinating. So, So... First of all, you so the tomb is empty. That's, it has to be, yes. or Christianity never gets off the ground. If they bring out, think about this. You're trying to convince people the guy rose from the dead and you should follow him as the Messiah in the town where he was crucified and where he was buried. If his tomb's not empty, if people go and they see the Roman seal on it and they see the soldiers hanging out there, no, I'm no. not believing you guys are a bunch of yeah. liars, right? <laughs> but... Pilate would be super embarrassed by this. The Jewish mm. leaders would be super embarrassed. The Roman soldiers, embarrassed. Herod, embarrassed. And the way to show, nope, we're still in control and powerful, would be to bring out the dude's body. Yes, yes, It never that's so happened. Mm-hmm. So that makes us conclude the body must have been gone. Yeah, because uh, that, that's, that's the thing. What else could you conclude out of that? Like, it's, uh, and that's the thing that we were talking about, too. Like, one of the common things that kept coming up from, uh, uh, from the, the Jewish leaders and soldiers and Pilate and Herod, there were rumors being spread that the disciples stole the body. Yeah, well, the yeah. Jewish leaders actually say that, right? In, in Matthew 28, 12 through 15, yeah. they say to the Roman soldiers, tell people that the disciples stole the body. And if you get in trouble, we'll cover for you. Yeah, right. So so now, what kind of criteria is that, Tyler? Well, that would be, well, let me think here. So we have, yeah, so if they stole the body, then that's multiple eyewitness accounts. Uh-huh. And it's an embarrassing detail for, because it is an embarrassing detail for uh, the, the soldiers. Because if they were saying, yeah. like, hey, this actually had happened. But that, but that doesn't apply because, okay, because it would be embarrassing to the soldiers and Pharisees. But the books were written by guys who were against the soldiers and Pharisees. Well, yeah, yeah, right. So, of course, they'd make fun of them. Of course, If yeah. they're making it up, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not an embarrassing detail. The fact that the, the Jews had to make up a story that the body was gone is enemy attestation. Yes, multiple attestation, just yeah, like yes, that's right. Well, not just multiple, enemy. Well, yeah, yeah the right. The enemy of Jesus, the enemies yeah. of of um, the disciples are making up a story which which means the body's gone. Yeah, yeah. So that's really important because <clears throat> um, this and, – and we know that this, um, this is recorded in other historical books. Uh, Justin Martyr talks about this in the first century in his dialogue with Trifo in chapter 108. He says that that rumor was still going around, that the Jews were still trying to tell people all around the world, oh, no, 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 his disciples just stole the body. Which is really absurd because yep. – and we'll probably talk about this in a few weeks, but they all were willing to die for, for this belief – and usually you don't find guys willing to die for something they know is a lie. Yeah, that's important. That's important. It's a big deal. And so the idea that that they had to make up a story proves that the body was gone. Yes, exactly. No, that's that's really important because they're not denying it. It's in there. Even no, if even if they have to make up an excuse. Yes, exactly. Because you're looking at this too. I wonder just what's going through the thought process. Like maybe it was just panic, and they're just yeah. like. 
Well, the disciples must have stolen the body because there's no way that he rose it again. Well, yeah, they were so against him. Yeah. No way. He's not the Messiah. He's not rising again. They ha- but, but the fact that they had to make up a re- an, uh, an excuse shows that they are acknowledging the body was missing. Yeah, and that's so important to realize. It is. is. It's yeah. like Michael Icona used to say, it's like when a kid says the dog ate his homework. Right. Right. Whether or not the dog was the reason the homework was missing is is um, is is something you want to look into as a teacher. But the fact that a kid is telling you the dog ate his homework is proof that he doesn't have his homework with him. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's the same with this. The proof that they're saying here's here's what happened to the body and why it's gone. They're admitting it's gone. Yeah, there's there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And so that's enemy attestation. Right. Which is which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now, now again, um, obviously, this this isn't literally them saying, "Yeah, we believe he resurrected." No, they don't believe that. But yeah, the body's gone. But yes, this confirms that there is not a physical body in the tomb of Jesus. All we're trying to establish is was the tomb empty? Right. Yeah, and it had to have been, or Christianity couldn't have even got started. Yeah, and I think that this is verifiable evidence so far that it was empty. Yep. Yeah. And it, so, so we've got embarrassing detail. We've mm-hmm. got the Jerusalem factor that you couldn't trick people in the town that it supposedly happened in if it didn't. Yes. We've got enemy attestation for the empty tomb, but we've also got multiple independent sources. So yes, be- between right. the Gospels, there's three or four independent sources about the tomb being empty. In addition to that, we have um, um, uh, this uh, sermon in Acts Right, and so th- this is important. Um, th- it's it's an independent source because uh, Luke wrote down kind of like sermon summaries that other people had said, and we know through analysis that the syntax is different and the the mm. the, the verb usage is different than how Luke writes. So it's easy to see he's quoting something that already occurred, yeah, which means right. it's older than the book of Acts, because he's quoting it, kind of like we talked about last week with 1 Corinthians, right? So in 1 Corinthians, the, the empty tomb is implied, 1 Corinthians 15.1. In the Gospels, we have three or four independent sources. So that's two independent sources. And then in Acts, we have this early sermon summary um, where Paul is talking about Jesus rising from the dead. Do you want to read that for us? Yeah, of course. Uh, so it says here, Acts 13, 32-38, And when we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled the, this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken it in this way, I will give you, uh, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David." Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had, had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Yeah, so, so in this sermon... What does Paul say over and over and over again about the the tomb? Yeah, he's saying that that the body wasn't in the tomb very long because (laughs) it it couldn't decay. It wasn't in there long enough to decay. Yeah, and he says it like multiple times. Like he raised him up, rose up, did not decay, did did not not decay. decay. And then he's like, David decayed, but Jesus, he did not decay. Yeah, which means the tomb's empty as I'm saying this. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's yeah. what's implied that's, with this. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, this is this is huge. And this sermon series, I, I, this sermon summary uh, in in Acts is fascinating because you've got people who really doubt the validity of the Bible and of Jesus' resurrection, like Bart Ehrman, right? We talked about him last week. Mm-hmm. But tell tell our listeners where yeah. Bart Ehrman dates this sermon ser- this sermon summary from Paul being dated Yes, to. yes. He dates, and again, this is agnostic Bart Ehrman, he dates that this sermon goes back to the 30s AD, which predates the gospel sources. So he's saying yes. this is older than the gospels. This sermon by Paul yeah. that's, that Luke is quoting predates the book of Acts, predates the Gospels being written, and it probably stretches back to the 30s right after Paul got pretty, – pretty soon after Paul was converted. Yeah, so this is fresh, like really So recent. now think about this. Mm-hmm. We have multiple independent sources. We have enemy attestation. Yeah. We have in, uh, the criteria of embarrassment, right? Mm-hmm. But we also have early reports – because this is super early. Yeah. Bart Ehrman is saying that this information, this statement was made by Paul somewhere in the 30s AD. And people believe Jesus either rose in 30 or 33 AD, depending on how you date it. Yeah, right. So we're saying within 10 years, these reports of him being raised from the dead were being spread in the town where he was supposedly raised from the dead in, which means people could mm. go verify whether the tomb was occupied or not. Yeah. So this is an early report, which is another criteria. Yeah, that's a good point. No, that's so so true. And so, like, just thinking about about that that fact of just thinking through the process of the source, and uh, Paul saying that it wasn't in the tomb very long, is leads you to think this through, and thinking of the pr- progression. So obviously Jesus died, mm-hmm. he was buried rose again and appeared. And so what do you get when a body goes through this progression? You get an empty tomb. You get an empty like, tomb. That's what, yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's what occurs. Now, this is what's fascinating to me, Tyler, because, okay, so who was the guy who says this sermon s- summary in Acts? Uh, who, who sa- Sorry. Who said that, the sermon summary we just read? Oh, yeah, it was Paul. Paul. Mm-hmm. Now, think about this, and we're probably going to talk about this on another episode of The Resurrection. Right, yeah. But was Paul a friend of Christianity? No. So is that also kind of enemy attestation? He's Actually. Con- okay, he converted. He switched yeah. sides. And now he believes Jesus rose from the dead. The big no, question you got to ask is why? Yeah. Why did yeah. he convert? Well, he claims in his own words that it's because Jesus showed up to him on the road to Damascus. So the fact that he's saying rose from the dead, rose from the dead, it it's it kind of could even be taken as enemy attestation because he was a Christian killer terrorist. Yeah. And now he's flipped sides. Fascinating. So again, copious amounts of evidence when you apply the method of historical analysis to the resurrection, it really seems like the tomb must have been empty. Yes, and that's that's so crazy to think through. And so like when when we have this it, enemy attestation, like, which comes up again and again, not just with Paul, but like you see it with uh, um, just right here, because uh, it is enemy attestation, do you think, like with Paul? I think so. The, and, I, I would and, agree. And definitely with the Pharisees. So thinking that through, that that definitely makes sense that it would fit into that. Well, and, and he, you almost yeah. have, I, I wonder if there's an argument to be made with enemy attestation well, by the fact that they didn't exhume a body. 
Well, and does the fact it, that yeah. Pilate didn't try to bring Jesus' body out, mm, Herod yeah. didn't try. Are they? Is that enemy attestation? That's that's kind of like a silent approach to he's not there. I can't bring out his body. Yeah, and like we said earlier too, uh, um, we mentioned this vaguely too, too even. But Justin Martyr uh, even wrote in saying that. Uh, there was a rumor that was being spread that the disciples stole the body because they yeah. had no other excuse for why the tomb was empty. Yeah, he says in, in yeah. the, the dialogue with Trifo, he says that um, that the Jews were still going around the world spreading that stupid lie because that's the only explanation they could come up with yeah. back back when they did with yeah. the soldiers. Yeah, yeah. And he, he lived in the early first century. So this is, you know, this is probably 70, 80 years after— Right. Yeah. Um, the the Jews first started saying that. He said that 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 rumor is still going around, even though it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. And then we see uh, really quick too, even in uh, Matthew twenty eight uh, twelve through fifteen, it says, "And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, "You are to say his disciples came by night mm-hmm. and stole him away while we were asleep." And it, if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did it as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Yep. So when Matthew wrote yeah. that, people were still saying that. Yeah, they, the, the Jews paid off the Roman soldiers and told them, if you get in trouble, we'll cover for you on this. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and enemy attestation, like we talked about. The fact that they have to make up a story as to where the body is proves that the body isn't there. Yeah, that the tomb had to be empty. Another another evidence I think is important with this is is this fact. And we have uh, a couple of months ago we did a series on archaeology, and we talked about yes. the Nazareth inscription. And we we hinted at this evidence a little bit, but I, I kind of want to go over it a little more fully. Um, if the only evidence for Jesus' resurrection was an empty tomb, nobody would have ever thought Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah. So an em- an empty tomb alone isn't enough evidence to make people believe in resurrection. Um, the other side of it is, you know, last week we talked about how Jesus must have appeared to his brother James. We're going to talk about how he appeared to the disciples, how he appeared to an enemy, to Paul. Um, but just appearances without an empty tomb wouldn't make anybody believe resurrection occurred either. So here's why. Um, Tyler, I'm sure you hear stories today where people talk about how their mm. recently deceased loved one visited them yeah, or right. they had a dream about or whatever, right? Nobody who says that ever thinks that they rose from the dead. And the reason is because they can go to their tomb and they can still see that their body's down there or they have their ashes in an urn or something. Yeah, right. So not resurrection, vision, right? Dream, hallucination, um, you know, whatever. Their spirit came to me, but the, not their body rose from the dead. And, and older people, a lot of older people say that this, this happens to them. So whether it does or doesn't, whatever. But nobody thinks resurrection because they saw an appearance of their recently deceased loved one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we also see that an, a tomb that's empty wouldn't make anybody believe in resurrection either, right? If you went to a graveyard and you saw a dug-up grave, what would you think first? Well, obviously someone stole it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, somebody someone stole, stole it. Or they moved the body or maybe they yeah. exhumed it and cremated it. Or maybe there's a crime that was committed and they're taking the body out to examine it more. Yeah. I wouldn't just yeah. think, oh, look, there's a hole in the ground. Resurrection. Yeah. Because <laughs> resurrections don't happen. Yeah, right? like, it's not common. They're, no, they, they're not <laughs> common at all. So the fact that the empty tomb occurred 
Um, and, and just an empty tomb wouldn't lead anybody to believe in resurrection. And in fact, the Bible points this out. Remember when the women go to the tomb? Mary mm. Magdalene's crying, and it says that Jesus comes up to her, but she thought he was the gardener. Remember mm-hmm. this story? Yes, yes. What does she ask Jesus? She says, where have you put his body? Oh, yeah. She doesn't right. believe he rose from the dead. She believes somebody moved his body. Yeah. When they go and they tell the disciples, the tomb's empty, he rose from the dead. Peter and John run to the tomb, and they stoop in, and the body's gone. It doesn't say, and immediately they believe what Jesus said, that he rose from the dead. It says they were confused, they were perplexed as to where his body went. Yeah. So they didn't think resurrection either. So this is what's really interesting is that you have to have appearances of Jesus after he rose from the dead coupled with an empty tomb. You have to have yeah. both of those things happening for anybody to ever be convinced of resurrection. Yeah, because if they saw a body in the tomb and then people were saying, oh, wait, we I still saw see him. I saw him resurrected. Well, yeah, that was a dream or that yeah. was a, a hallucination or spiritual existential experience, not yeah. resurrection of his body because I know where his body is. Yeah, right. And just an empty tomb without the appearances would make people think the gardener moved it or somebody stole it. Yeah, right. So you have to have both of those things happening simultaneously in order for this belief in resurrection ever to start. And we've saw, we saw in that 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3 through 8 creed that resurrection was the heart of Christianity somewhere between six months to two years after the events of Jesus' death. Mm. So they believed yeah. in resurrection, which means they had to have saw him appear to them, which, oh my gosh, is exactly what they all say, and the tomb had to be empty, which in fact, is what they all say as well. Yeah, no, that's so, so, really so, important. So the skeptic has to explain to me how those two things occurred if it wasn't from Jesus' resurrection. Mm. Do you see what a strong case that is? Yes. Yeah. What happened to his body, number one? Secondly, why did a bunch of people think they saw him? Yeah. <laughs> like, you need to give me some historical criteria, some type of hypothesis as to why those two things happened, because the historical mm, criteria yeah. is so strong that those two things did occur. Right. Yeah, that's, that's important. And so uh, it, it just it, thinking in general, you'd have to, again, this takes you back to you have to think of the alternatives of what mm-hmm. else could have happened, right? And that's immediately what they started thinking. They're like, yeah, someone moved the body. Yeah. Like what happened to it? But but then you have the appearances of Jesus physically to mm-hmm. each of the disciples. That's really what's like. Yep. Well, and that's the thing that's, that's yeah. crazy to me is because somebody did move the body. Jesus. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, they're right. Yeah. Someone did move the body. Jesus moved his body because he rose from the dead. That's, uh, I'm with you on that. So this idea uh, of, of empty tomb and appearances having to happen simultaneously for resurrection to occur, it's such a strong argument, and I don't think skeptics can adequately answer it without making up stories. Yes, right. Well, an alien did this, or Jesus had a twin brother that did, and, and there's so many problems with all those, and we're going to talk about that in yeah. a few weeks, about common you know, uh, uh, objections. objections that are just so silly. Um, and But there's no historical data that, that help with their case at all. They're literally just making yeah, up stories. Pretty sure aliens is one that someone's come oh, up yeah. with, right? Yeah. Dude, well, there's naturalistic explanations, <laughs> and then there's alternative supernatural explanations, too. Yeah. So it's like, it's just, it is. It's so silly. But the fact that, that, that Jesus' resurrection is unique in mm. the world doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Because sometimes people will say, um, you know, resurrection doesn't occur, mm. therefore Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But um, we would say, well, listen, we, I don't think resurrection occurs all the time. I've heard some people say, well, back then they thought people rose from the dead all the time. 
No, they didn't. There's mm-hmm. no proof of that anywhere. Like, they didn't think that. No, I don't know where they would have gotten that yeah, from. Yeah, they crazy. knew what people dying was like. It's the same as it is now. There's no evidence for that. People say, well, they, you know, they were so superstitious. They thought people rose from the dead all the time. No, they weren't. They're not stupid. Um, but, but Jesus' resurrection is a crazy claim. I agree. It's fantastical. But all evidence points to it actually occurring. Yeah. I think you have a quote from N.T. Wright kind of on that. Yes, yes, actually. Uh, this is really important, uh, an important quote that I think is good to be shared on the podcast. He says, uh, the fact that dead people do not ordinarily rise is itself part of the early Christian belief, not an objection to it. The early Christians insisted that what had happened to Jesus was precisely something new, uh, was indeed the start of a whole new mode of existence, a new creation. The fact that Jesus' resurrection was and remains without an analogy is not an objection to the early Christian claim. It is part of the claim itself. I think that's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, we agree. People don't normally come back from the dead. But this dude did, which is why it's really important. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> big deal. All the evidence points to that. That's what we're saying. We don't think people ordinarily come back from the dead. That's why you should listen up to what this guy said, because he actually did. Yeah, that, and, now, and that's so crucial. And that, that's the key, is if Jesus really rose from the dead, then that would have to mean that he is God. <laughs> like, yes, right? it's, God's, it's like God's stamp of approval on who Jesus was mm-hmm. and what he said. Yeah. It's like it's like the stamp of approval on the message. Like, yes, I'm God and I approve this message. That's yeah, that's exactly right. what it is. And it's it draws like what what is something God could do? So if if God exists mm-hmm. and he loves people, what what is the type of thing he could do to get everybody's attention? Would it be something that happens all the time? Like, could God get my attention by growing an apple? No, that happens every no, day. because it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah that's nothing. That's, so he'd have to do something out of the ordinary mm-hmm. to get people's attention. He'd have to do something that doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, right. Isn't the resurrection that type of a thing? Yeah, well, you would think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it seems like that if he was trying to get our attention, if a God did exist, this is the very type of thing he would have to do in order to get the whole world's attention yeah. to, to listen to what he's saying. Yeah, and I think uh, I'm... You know, I, I think this is loosely. Uh, I got this from a G.K. Chesterton Chesterton's book on orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. But there, there is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there's a section in his book where he talks about miracles mm-hmm. and uh, how people. There are people who see miracles in, in nature and in everyday life, right? That like they, they'll say, "Okay, the sun rising, uh, that's a miracle, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a like beauty of God's creation." Oh, yeah. uh, an a- animal was just born, or a creature was born, a human being was just given birth to that's a mm-hmm. miracle but uh but that's like a naturalistic miracle this is a supernatural miracle of something that doesn't occur every single day this is something that's like significant mm-hmm. and god used that to get our attention to say hey look you know what this this is evidence that something supernatural had to intervene yeah and that that's me mm-hmm. i'm god and i'm telling you right now that this is my son yeah, and in whom I'm well in pleased. Whom I will, well pleased. Listen yes. to him. Exactly. He literally says that. He does. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if a guy rose from the dead, I should seriously consider what he said, and what he claimed, and what he told me reality is. Yeah. And this is a guy who said, right. "I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Mm. If he rose from the dead, I should listen up to this guy because he seems yeah. to be somebody important. 
And I think that's the point of the resurrection. Uh, aside from, obviously, the theological uh, importance of him dying on the cross for our sins, resurrecting from the dead as the first fruits of what mm-hmm. will become. I mean, there's more to it than that. Oh, yeah. But God is getting the attention of the world. And I, I mean, for crying out loud, Tyler, we count time based on this event, basically. Yeah. We count time based on this guy. Well, how is it that, I mean, think about this. How is it that a Jewish carpenter, first century Backwoods Nazareth, Jewish carpenter who never wrote any books, never probably traveled more than 200 miles outside of where he was from in his life, convinced the world to count time based on him. I mean, it's, 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 come on. (laughs) Something else is going on here, you know? Yeah, no, that's such a, such a good, good point to make. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, In regards to the empty tomb, I have a quote here from William Wand. Uh, He's an Oxford church historian. And this is what he says. All the strictly historical evidence we have is in favor of the empty tomb. And those scholars who reject it ought to recognize that they do so on some other ground than that of scientific history. That's powerful coming from a historian. He's saying, listen, all evidence points towards this happening. And it's not just a story we have, but we have many different modes of evidence, right? Multiple independent sources, early reports, eyewitness testimony, right? Because Peter is the, is the author of, yeah. of Mark, through John Mark, right? Mm-hmm. He claims to have been there. Matthew claims to have seen the resurrected Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. John was one of the disciples who saw Jesus after his resurrection. So you have eyewitness testimony, independent sources, early reports, because you got that sermon series summary from uh, Acts, and you've got yeah. the creed from 1 Corinthians 15. So it's early, independent, eyewitness, enemy attestation, and embarrassing details. That's strong evidence that that's, this That's happened. a really good case. That it's it a really good case, man. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a better case than for a lot of other stuff we take as historically accurate. Yeah, that's the thing. The way we do history in general, you don't find that much, this much historical eyewitness evidence for maj- for a lot of historical yeah uh, especially moments for, in history. for ancient history like this especially yeah for first yeah for this old history. yeah but even for uh, medieval history we don't find strong evidence like this yeah but we take those things to be factual that they actually yeah. occurred and it's crazy and then to see how much more evidence we have for the resurrection of Jesus. And yet that, that, that's something that's heavily contested. Yep, and it gets denied. And usually it's contested yeah. on, the, on the basis of, listen, supernatural things don't happen, therefore this couldn't have happened. Yeah. Which that's not having an open mind and looking at the evidence. That's saying I've already predetermined what occurs and what doesn't occur. And my presupposition, my predetermination decides that that couldn't happen before I even investigate yeah. it, right? That's not a good way to investigate anything. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point. Man, I think we have really good grounds scientifically according to the criteria of authenticity Mm, of the historical method to say the dude's tomb was empty. And now you've got to explain to me what happened to his body Mm. coupled with why did his brother – be convinced that his his brother was God, right? Why did James, how could you convince that? Like we talked about last week. In addition to what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. So now we're accumulating all these different important pieces of evidence. And when you put the puzzle together, you got to say, what's the one hypothesis that could account for all of these facts of history? The only one that does it justice is the guy rose from the dead. Mm, Yeah. And I'm excited about Easter because that's who I'm celebrating. 
Yeah, right? right. I am celebrating this guy really rose from the dead. And I, I hope for our listeners, I hope that through this podcast, you will have more confidence yes. this Easter as you go to worship on early on that Sunday morning, because that's when the right. women went and that's when the first discovery was made, right? Right. When you go and you worship Jesus as the resurrected Lord, I hope you think of some of the evidence and the reasons that we have for it, because it makes it so much richer. Yeah, and it makes it so much more real. Our confidence, right. our faith grows. Yeah, and that's that's the whole point of, of Easter is like to to dwell on the fact that he actually rose again. And so, mm-hmm. uh, be uh, like spend some time thinking about these facts and uh, pray and th- be uh, lift up thanks to God and thank Him for the fact that we have evidence that we can look back and we can see that these events are historical and that they took place and that he left that for us. So that way, it's not that we're just blindly trusting Mm -hmm. that some guy rose from the dead, but we actually have evidence and reasons to believe that he actually did that. Yeah, Yeah. in Christianity, we don't have a God who says, I told you so. We have a God who says, I'll show you so. Yeah. And he gives us so much evidence. And I'm I'm encouraged by that. I'm glad. What a gracious God to give us so much evidence to Mm. know what he did. It's awesome. Yeah, and then again, we we just hope that uh, this podcast has been an encouragement to you in thinking through all of these facts and reasons that we've been bringing up uh, to build a case for the resurrection of Jesus, uh, because that's our goal is we want to be able to equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and to be confident in their faith. Yep, absolutely. And so um, use what we're teaching you here this Easter. Take some Mm -hmm. friends out. People are willing to talk about Easter and Jesus and resurrection at this time of year because it's a cultural thing for us here in America. Yeah, yeah. Take people out and talk to them and say, man, I was listening to these guys. What do you think about this evidence? Is that interesting to you? Like, what do you, do you think his tomb was actually empty? What do you think occurred? And spark a conversation with people about about spiritual matters because this is important. Yeah, yeah. People need to realize he really did rise from the dead and put their trust and their faith in him and what he did. It's good. And you have such an easy segue to talk about it too because yep. uh, literally, like, like you said, Robbie, Easter is an American cultural thing. So mm-hmm. it, you can invite friends who don't know Jesus to your church's Easter service. Yeah. And then send them, them this on. podcast. Say, yeah, hey, yeah, send will you listen podcast. to this podcast and then let's let's go out for some coffee and we'll talk about it. Yeah, I'll and buy then, the coffee. Let's go talk. Yeah, about yeah, it. do that. That's perfect. That's a, that's a great way to apply apologetics uh, that fit with the holiday season, the Easter coming up. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So we, again, just uh, hope that this has been beneficial to you. Uh, if you please, if you have any more questions on any of the content that we've shared on this podcast, uh, please go ahead and send us an email at ChristCultureCoffee at gmail.com. Uh, or you can go ahead and follow us on our Instagram page uh, under the same name, and you can send us a direct message with that question, and we'd be more than happy to respond back to you and help you out. Yes, we would. I love answering questions and, and helping people think through their faith and why they should yeah. why they should have confidence in it. So, Well, thank you so much for being with us on Christ, Culture, and Coffee today. Please have a happy Easter celebrating Jesus, our resurrected King, yeah. who's alive today, who's going to hear the songs you sing to him on Sunday. He is risen. Pleased. He is risen, that's for sure. Have a great uh, week, and we will catch you guys on the next episode. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.